Today is August 4th, 2021, and I'm Anthony Hansen, Extension Educator at Integrated Pest Management. Earlier this morning, we recorded another episode of the Strategic Farming Field Notes program. Field Notes is a weekly update on the current crop situation and crop management considerations. Today's session was moderated by U of M Extension Crop Educator Ryan Miller and myself. The episode featured Dr. Ken Osley, Corn Extension Entomologist, and Dr. Bob Cook, Soybean Extension Entomologist, both with the University of Minnesota Department of Entomology, as well as Bruce Potter, IPM Extension Specialist based out of Lamberton, Minnesota. Drought conditions during the growing season have exacerbated some pest issues, such as spider mites. Soybean aphids so far has only been found at low densities in most fields across the state, but there is still a potential for aphids to reach damaging levels in August. Some growers have reported cornworm adults and noticeable densities in some fields, and pests such as armyworms have been moving into corn from nearby grasses. Remember to tune in weekly for more crop and pest management topics in August. Thank you. Well, welcome back everybody to another uh, episode here of the Strategic Farming uh, Field Notes Program. I want to thank everyone for tuning in today, uh, as well as thank uh, our, our guests for being on and, uh, and helping facilitate the discussion. I'm Ryan Miller. I'll be uh, moderating today with Anthony Hansen. Uh, and today we were kind of uh, going after that kind of late season insect uh, monitoring and management uh, topic. Uh, I'm going to let Anthony uh, kind of uh, kick things off today. We're going to try to stick to that kind of half hour format. So just a short, sweet little uh, update and a chance to interact with some of our specialists there out throughout the state. Anthony? Thanks, Ryan. I also mentioned we have uh, Bruce Potter on too. I believe he's uh, out at Farm Fest right now or on the way as well. So we kind of have a good mix of folks with the entomology background on here. So we'll start off. Um, it was about well, maybe about a month ago, a little longer, the end of June. I think we had our episode on insects and dealing with drought. Well, we mentioned spider mites quite a bit. They're here. So Bob, do you want to mention for soybeans, how widespread does it seem like it, it sounds like that we've had spider mite issues across the state? Uh, at least you know, most state houses are dealing with drought still. Pretty good conditions for them. Um, what are you seeing for damage that's occurring or people that are having to manage it? Yeah, thanks, Anthony. Uh, that's exactly right. The drought conditions throughout much of the state right now are definitely favoring the uh, two spotted spider mites. Um, and talking with Ryan Miller just before this session, uh, sounds like in southeastern Minnesota where they've had a, a bit more rainfall, the mites aren't as bad there. Um, but throughout much of the rest of the state, you know, some fields are very heavily infested, very severely damaged. Um, and these drought conditions kind of favor the mites in a few different ways. They dry down the surrounding vegetation where the mites were hanging out before. So then the mites are moving into the crops. Um, the high temperatures really favor the mite development. Unlike soybean aphids that don't like the hot temperatures, spider mites do very well. Um, and then there's a fungus that attacks the mites and with the hot, dry weather that suppresses the fungus and can um, free up the mites to do their thing. This is a pest that reproduces very, very rapidly. So you need to be scouting on a regular basis. Infests on the edges first is where we usually see symptoms. That's probably because they're moving in from that surrounding vegetation. Um, infestations start at the bottoms of the plants and typically move upward. So if you're seeing symptoms, you know, kind of the yellowing or stippling leaf loss on the edges of the fields, you definitely want to get in, scout throughout that field, and then um, 
Ken Osley and Bruce Potter developed a treatment threshold um, a number of years ago, and that seems to be holding up pretty well for helping to guide when to make decisions for treating this pest. And, you know, maybe they can go into the details of it. Uh, we put it in a um, recent crop news article, but the whole goal is kind of protecting the upper canopy and the, the middle canopy of the soybean because the, the injury that this pest caused is irreversible. They're stabbing their mouth parts into the leaves, uh, the individual cells of the leaves and destroying those cells. So even if you get rid of the mites, you're not gonna regain those plant cells that have been lost. Thank you. Yeah, that's a good segue over to Bruce and Ken. If you wanna comment a bit more about uh, how scouting and uh, treatment works for spider mites and kind of how we develop that threshold basically. Well, the challenge with mites is, as Bob mentioned, the rapid development of the population. Um, and right now, all sorts of fields, we're seeing some symptoms along the edges and the challenge is monitoring the rest of the field to see when it's time to spray the whole thing. Just because you see some symptoms on the field edge uh, more than the interior doesn't mean that mites aren't spread throughout the field. Uh, so that's typically why we have to focus on the whole uh, field, get in there and take a look. Um, the action point is, revolves totally around the idea of protecting that upper canopy. Um, so when you're out scouting in the interior of the field, you're looking to see about how they're Mites are typically building up in the lower part of the canopy. Um, the challenge with mites is that because the edge is le leading the rest of the field, there are people that think that they should just spray the edge of the field. And typically we're seeing mites in the, some of those cases throughout the field. And it's just the edge is showing the higher population levels. Um, and the rest of the field will catch up in a few days to a week or more um, afterwards. So focus on the entire field when you're doing your scouting. Bruce, you've got a lot of experience with this. Uh, what would you add to the discussion? Well, I think one of the, the questions I'm getting now in some of these real drought-stressed areas are, you know, should I, should I spray the mites or just let them go? And, uh, you know, we're, we're to the point now, earlier on, you've got some ch better chance for recovery because your soybeans are still putting on new leaves. Right now, you're, uh, once that terminal cluster flowers opens up on the top, you're pretty much done. Um, so um, if, you, if you allow, I guess, the, I guess the, the way to approach it is, if you think you're going to get a rain and your crop's going to be saved, uh, you probably should control the mites. And if you have decided it's not going to get, you're not going to rain and you don't have a crop left, well, then it doesn't matter anymore. But I think uh, I think the Ken mentioned it and and Bob mentioned it uh, that uh, this this damage is not replaceable, particularly as you get this canopy fully developed. You can't you can't put new leaves on after a certain point. To add a little twist to what you were saying, Bruce, um, one of the ways I think of it is that reducing the mite population 
allows the rest of the plant to respond to rainfall when it occurs. And so if you let the mites go in a field, you essentially, you know, are ensuring that the soybean response is going to be greatly reduced if you get a timely rain. And so that's part of the challenge with making the decision in a drought scenario. You mentioned that uh, Terry had a question, folks here. Uh, will heavy rain kill mites like it does soybean aphids? Uh, it doesn't necessarily kill soybean aphids if you got a good canopy. So um, a single rainfall won't do it. Um, you know, unless it's bad enough to, to mess up your soybeans, I suppose. But uh, what you're really looking for is uh, a, a change in the weather pattern. So soybean health changes. And also, um, if you get some cooler temperatures and humidity going, that'll, that'll allow that fungus to, uh, to uh, the neozygotes fungus to attack the, the mites. And, and if that fungus gets going, uh, those populations can be pretty dramatic, just like the Pandora fungus that controls soybean aphids. If, you know, in a matter of a day or two, you can go from a flaming disaster to not being able to find any pests, uh, mites or mites left, so. I think, Bruce, you commented on a key point, and that's that it's really, a lot of this hinges around the physiology of the soybean plant. and if as it goes under stress, um, actually you're producing a better quality uh, sap or status for the um, mites. And so you're, you're shifting the whole plant physiology in favor of the mites. And so a single rainfall may not do the trick because the, the soybean plants are still under some stress and so you need enough rainfall typically so that the uh, essentially for that soybean plant the drought is broken and it reverts to a more normal physiology. So we have another question came in. Uh, Dorian's asking about any update on mite insecticide resistance. So I know there's a bit going on with uh, discussions of chlorpyrifos just regulatory too, but also what options do we have for treatments when it comes to mites? Yeah, so maybe before diving into the resistance topic, just to quickly recap kind of what's available for managing spider mites and soybean, you know, from the pyrethroids, we're looking at bifenthrin or bifenthrin containing products. Would advise not using other pyrethroids because they can often make the problem worse. They can flare the mite infestation. And then from the organophosphates, chlorpyrifos containing products like Lorsban and, and some of the others and dimethoate. So this is where I think it was back in 2012, 2013, uh, Bruce Potter and Ian McRae documented resistance in a spider mite population to chlorpyrifos. So again, the, you know, products like Lorsban, that was in Southwestern Minnesota. Bruce, correct me if I'm wrong, but I don't think there was any laboratory confirmation after that. But since then, there's been kind of sporadic reports of chlorpyrifos not necessarily doing as well as, as it should. Um, uh, not necessarily. Uh, Ian, Ian, found, Ian, Ian detected some up in Northwest Minnesota too. So, um, and, and 
Yeah, and it's and it's basically where we we're here we hear the most of the problems are where they've used chlorpyrifos pretty heavy in the past. You know, whether it's on beets or or uh, for soybean aphid. So then, in addition, in addition to those pyrethroids and the organophosphates, <clears throat> there are a couple, you know, more traditional miticides, agrimac and uh, zeal, that are available for soybean. Um, these miticides versus the insecticides are affecting different life stages of the mites, so that it could potentially affect timing decisions. But I don't know that we really have enough data to comfortably adjust. The threshold that Ken and Bruce developed based on that. Do you guys have any feel there? You know, if someone were to, you know, want to make a treatment with Agrimac or Zeal, would you stick with that same, same uh, action point on, on that scale that you developed? I think you've got a little more experience with uh, newer miticides, Bruce. Well, not, you know, I haven't used, uh, I've used agrimec and, and I think that works, will work okay. Uh, it uh, looks like it has a little control on, on eggs, but it's, but it's again, the, the larvae and or the, the immatures and the uh, um, adults that, that it's really active on. It works a little slower. I don't think the mites are actually feeding anymore, but it takes a little longer to knock them off compared to something like a, like a chlorpyrifos or a dimethyl weight. Um, zeal is going to be slower yet, and it's it's primarily active on on the eggs. It'll it'll have some effect on the immatures as well. I guess the other way to look at it is uh, because of this mite uh, mite egg component, and you've got uh, the possibility of spraying, and as that insecticide or miticide wears off, you get a, a a hatch of eggs and, and reinfested right away. Um, some of these real heavy infestations, uh, chlorpyrifos can struggle with a little bit because you can get reinfested by eggs. And I, I've talked to some people this year where they've cut the Lorsban rate to a half a pint, and those are those are causing problems. Um, you know, it's just not sticking around long enough, and and you know, in a day or two, you've got eggs hatching and and they're able to survive. And for to add a little bit to that, uh, when you've made a spray in that situation, you've now taken out the natural enemies. So any control you had from a predator parasite standpoint is now eliminated. So the survivors are reproducing without any check. So rebounding can occur quickly. No, Bruce, you open I was just going to mention quick, you mentioned the rates, how those can be important for the insecticides or miticides, but also getting good coverage in that canopy and penetration into the canopy is really important. So don't be skimping on, uh, on volumes either. Ken, one last question for you uh, related to spider mites is usually we're talking about spider mites in soybean. Uh, what are those mites doing when they're in corn? Can you get issues there? Or is that something where it's more superficial? You can certainly get mite issues in corn. In fact, that's a major concern as you go south and west into Nebraska and Kansas. The benefit we've traditionally had compared to those areas is that we don't have the long history of insect uh, miticide use. And so many of the products work, although as 
both Bruce and Bob have mentioned, we're seeing uh, resistance to chlorpyrifos in some situations. But in corn, um, I don't know if it's the fact that you have, uh, you know, a, normally a deeper root structure, so you have a little more water availability, but uh, oftentimes we'll see issues in soybean before we see them in corn. The approach is still the same. You're scouting from the bottom of the plant upward. You're looking for the, the colonies uh, with all the signs of their activity. Um, I was just checking some fields by Rosemount and the mites were easy to find in soybeans and, and a little more reduced levels in, in corn. So um, that's the more typical pattern, but just watch out in corn. Uh, as you get firing of lower leaves, you know, from a nitrogen mobilization perspective, it's, it's easy to overlook mite activity. So please take a look at your corn fields as well. I guess we actually have one more question that came in on alfalfa and then we'll seg over to a different uh, question. Um, Deb Senek is asking about mites and alfalfa. Can we get issues there as well? No, Bruce, if you want to cover that one. Um, well, they certainly will infest alfalfa. Uh, we, in fact, that's so, you know, one of the good overwintering spots for two spotted spider mites is in alfalfa fields. A lot of times that's some of the first places you find find them moving over to soybeans where you've got that interface between the two crops. Yeah, you can have damage on, on alfalfa, uh, but I think one of the things that's different in alfalfa is you're, you're during the season, you're, you're cutting and removing vegetation, uh, drying everything or, uh, you know, cleaning the, the, the habitat out for them. Um, so it's, Usually, usually what happens by the, by the time mites are bad in alfalfa, you've got other problems like uh, uh, leaf hoppers or, or alfalfa weevils or something like that that you're, you're treating for. All right. And since we have you on, Bruce, I'll give you the next question. Edward Mac McNamara is wondering about insects uh, moving from CRP acres to corn or soybeans. And I know um, you had some reports of true armyworm, especially a little bit ago what was going on there, but then also what other insects could be doing this? Uh, they're asking about grasshoppers, especially is another one. So the grasshoppers are the big ones and uh, you know, we've got a dry year. So um, grasshoppers are doing real well. They've got several uh, diseases that help keep them under control in wet years. So that, that suppression is off, um, you know, in the areas where that had, it was drier last year. We're seeing more grasshoppers and, you know, in the areas that had good moisture last year, we're starting to see the first year of that buildup. So it's kind of, with grasshoppers, it's kind of a multi-year, multi-year project as far as getting those populations built up to, to damaging levels. Um, Armyworms, yeah, there, there's, armyworms is another insect that can move out of CRP. Uh, where we're seeing the, had the problems this year was in, uh, mostly in corn, and it was corn that had a lot of grassy weeds in it, and that's where the uh, migrating moths came in, dropped some eggs off, and uh, the infestations came out of, out of either stayed within corn. Um, some people didn't control those infestations in corn, so not only did they 
give their their crop an opportunity to suffer, but they shared uh, shared a problem with their neighbors, and and so a lot of that that those treatments were coming out of infested fields. I think we'll uh, move over to soybean aphid, kind of the other perennial pests we usually talk about. So I should mention that um, both the Minnesota wheat growers and soybean growers funded some IPM scouts across Western Minnesota this year. And uh, we had three folks, in, one in Crookston, one in Moorhead, one in uh, Morris. And uh, they've currently been scouting for soybean aphids. Haven't seen a whole lot across Western Minnesota. Um, I think around Morris, we had a little bit of increasing pressure, a higher percent of plants were infested, but still very low numbers of aphids. So Bob, what are you seeing uh, just across the state? And also, um, Bruce, if you want to mention anything you've seen about soybean aphid too down in southwestern Minnesota. Yeah, honestly, I'm not seeing much or hearing much for soybean aphid. Um, like I mentioned earlier, you know, these conditions that are favorable for the mites usually aren't great for the soybean aphids. Um, but I know Bruce, and he can maybe comment on it more details, but he, he is seeing some fields in southwestern Minnesota, certain parts where, where aphid populations are building. I think if, um, you know, we get a cooler stretch of weather here before we get too far into August, um, you know, aphids could still become an issue. Remember, they reproduce very rapidly as well. You know, and especially if there's a lot of spraying going on for for mites or other things, as uh, Ken mentioned, you know, that's going to take out those natural enemies. So that could leave, uh, you know, fields open for uh, for aphids to uh, reproduce quickly as well. Bob, I guess a quick refresher on the threshold, too, is uh, when should we be thinking about, you know, still scouting in spring versus when is it too late in the season where we don't have to worry about it anymore, either time of year or based on reproductive growth stage? Yeah, so the threshold for soybean aphid, you know, we're still recommending 250 aphids per plant, you know, so checking multiple plants throughout the field. Like I said, I haven't seen any fields near that. Um, Bruce has seen a few, I think. I would not stop based on, I would not stop scouting based on calendar date. None of these pests are paying attention to our calendars. So base it on, you know, what's going on in the field and mainly plant growth stage. That's what the, you know, the, the pests are going to be responding to or what's going to be kind of limiting yield loss, right? So I think once those seeds have filled the, the cavities within the pods is, probably about the end of when a lot of these pests can, can uh, impact the plants. However, you know, grasshoppers, bean leaf beetles, some of these insects with chewing mouth parts can cause damage a little later into the season because they can actually feed on the pods or clip the pods. And that's a more serious situation where we, we need to be treating more aggressively. I haven't heard of that yet, but it's something that's kind of in the back of my mind as you know, I'm hearing about more and more grasshoppers showing up in fields. So, Bob, so I think we got a go ahead, ways, yeah we got quite a ways to go here with the, the soybean development I guess particularly in areas of the state where we've got more uh, yield potential I guess we've got a handful of weeks here to continue to monitor mm -hmm. and uh, when when do you when do you stop monitoring then for soybean aphid when when do you feel safe and in, in terms of 
you know, stopping those counts and stopping the scouting. <laughs> yeah. I like, like I was saying, I would keep going through, through our five. Um, I think Bruce and Ken, as a number of years ago, got some data suggesting there could be potential impacts of soybean aphid in early R6. Um, you know, so definitely those, go ahead. How do, those, how, do, how do we adjust the numbers as we go into the R6 stage? I, you know, there's a, there's a lot of debate about certainly the thresholds sort of shift a little bit uh, as you get later past that R5 stage, but I don't know, do you guys have a feel for that? Uh, unfortunately, we don't have a very good feel for it. <clears throat> it's been something really hard to get experiments set up for, you know, those late season infestations. So, you know, we just don't have that many data sets to really, you know, guide us in, in adjusting that threshold. I think once you get that late beyond our five, you know, probably don't need to be treating at 250 anymore. Um, you know, but I think, you know, it becomes you know, many aphids on those plants and maybe some other stressors, Ken or Bruce, you know, based on your experience in the earlier days of soybean aphid um, or these trials where you actually did pick up some yield loss later in the season like that, do you have any feel? Well, I think one of the key elements is how much pod fill is left to continue, you know, left at that point in the season and that's going to vary with the maturity of the soybeans. So the one study I remember, we got a really nice yield response on a 2-3 soybean and, and very little response on a 1-4. On a so, you know, basically the 2-3 wasn't as far along in its, its uh, pod fill and so it, it could take advantage of the reduction in aphid pressure on Whereas the shorter maturity soybean uh, didn't have enough time to see the benefit of that aphid control. That early R6, uh, so those early R6 beans, uh, those, that's a lot of water in those, in those beans. There's not a lot, much of the dry matter in there. So um, if you see thousands of aphids per plant uh, or, you know, you see the plants going under stress, I, I would take them out of there. You got to watch the pre-harvest intervals on things um, when you're getting that late in the season. Um, but, but Ryan, uh, I think you're going to be in an area where you've got better moisture. I think this could be a year where we start to see those aphid populations build, but they're going to build real late after the R5, middle of R5. Um, and, and uh, you know, it's, this could be a year where we see some of those big, big late season populations where the decisions get a little bit tougher. It'll be one to watch. Very interesting. Thanks for the comments, guys. So we're getting a few comments in from uh, Dave Nikolai, who's uh, camped out at FarmFest right now. Uh, what uh, some growers have been asking about, especially um, been some reports this spring for spider mites. No one's really asked about soybean aphids too much, but then obviously concerns about uh, cup soybeans and the drought as well. Kind of a, a lot of questions coming in lately. And I guess on that note, especially for pest management, Bruce, I know you have an event coming up I believe next week. Do you want to talk a little bit about what's going on there? Uh, sure. Next, next Tuesday afternoon at the Southwest Research and Outreach Center at Lamberton, we're, we're going to have a little uh, plot tour. We weren't able to do any of those last year. So we'll have uh, uh, extension weed scientist Devlin Serengi uh, talking about uh, uh, some weed management issues. If people want to vent on Dicamp or anything else, that'd be a good place to do it. Um, 
Ken Osley is going to be there to talk about rootworm. We've got some root, uh, rootworm studies at Lamberton that uh, with some high pressure and, and uh, it'll be a good opportunity to, to look at those and, and discuss how to manage, manage rootworms down uh, in the future. Um, we did put in a spider mite trial, so we'll see what kind of results we have on that. Uh, so it's going to be from one o'clock to, to four um, uh, on, on uh, next Tuesday afternoon. Thanks, Bruce. Uh, for another, oh, Phyllis actually has a link in the chat for those who are on the webinar. And I think we'll try to get that in the podcast uh, description too for folks. So for our last pest I'd like to talk about today, moved over to Ken Osley a little bit here is corn rootworm. So I know uh, Nathan Drewitz over in uh, Sturts County, he mentioned some reports of a lot of corn rootworm adults. And it seemed like they're spilling over into other fields, especially such as alfalfa or getting into soybeans too. So is that an issue for the other crops at all, Ken? We've had a few questions on that, or is it more just the issue that there's so many adults spilling out that um, you're dealing with obviously high potentially damaging populations uh, building up in your field over the years? Well, with the warm weather, we've seen silking pollination move up. And so there are fields out there that have entered a stage where there's not as much attractive uh, focus on the ears uh, now. And so you're seeing more foraging type behavior in corn rootworms. And so they'll be spreading throughout the landscape, um, especially in areas where the drought is taking a toll on, on corn. When they're there, it, it's sometimes hard to pick apart what they're actually doing for northern corn rootworms. In, been interpreted that they're more actually focused on pollen foraging. They'll feed on flowers, for example, and alfalfa and soybean, but there really isn't significant egg laying that's occurring. Um, normally that would be occurring back in corn. Uh, with a soybean variant of the Western corn rootworm, you can get egg laying in soybean um, and even alfalfa, but uh, that variant is not known to exist in Minnesota, uh, but we're always looking for its appearance. Um, and we do know that in drought years, we'll, we'll see some egg laying and soybeans. When these beetles feed on soybean, um, soybean's not a good host and it tends to trigger an egg drop. And so they can't really survive by feeding on the soybean unless they're the variant. Um, and that one has a better survival on, on soybean vegetation itself. Um, so at the moment, um, I wouldn't be too concerned about the rootworm activity in, in say soybeans or even alfalfa. Um, you're gonna see a lot of that this time of year anyway. Uh, Bruce, do you have anything you wanna throw in? Uh, no, other than that, uh, northern corn rootworms are definitely back. Extended diapause is back, um, and and we are getting, in, especially in southern and southwest Minnesota, we're seeing uh, starting to see some westerns in rotated soybeans. And I'm not exactly not huge numbers. Uh, they're mixed in with the northerns, and I'm not exactly sure what they're doing there. So that's going to be a little little puzzle to to piece together. Um, there's a lot of guys with uh, sticky traps out uh, monitoring rootworm adults. So 
hopefully we get uh, can get a good chunk of data in and maybe start teasing some of that apart. I guess quick question before we wrap up. Uh, how are the traits holding up? Oh, and actually we got another question in. Uh, will cover crops <laughs> provide area for um, egg laying corn borer so and uh, kind of getting into other corn pests as well. So either of those questions are traits for corn rootworm or uh, cover crops and egg laying for corn borer. Well, on the trait front, we're seeing continuing, continued uh, evolution and, and of BT resistance um, and starting to see some of our pyramids bring uh, greater frequency of problems with corn rootworms. Um, this year, the conditions are phenomenal from a rootworm damage to corn perspective. We had good egg laying last year, good overwintering conditions, really nice spring for, for larval survival. And then you add the drought stress on top and you've got all the makings for a pretty big impact in some of these uh, heavy infestations. Um, but uh, on the trait front, um, I expect, you know, conditions to continue to deteriorate as we use the traits on that front. We now have SmartStacks Pro coming into the market that offers an RNAi, a messenger, or an RNAi uh, trait, uh, which is a, is a new uh, trait added to the, the pyramids. Um, so, you know, we've got another tool in the arsenal, so to speak. Bruce, do you want to comment on the other question that got posed at the end about corn borer and other hosts? Um, well, I mean, as far as cover crops and corn, um, I think the, you know, definitely it's uh, true armyworm is an issue. You know, I'm not, I, you know, the corn borer populations are still fairly low right now. Um, we're actually catching some in the light trap at Lamberton, which is which is unusual for compared to the last few years. But um, having uh, having some sort of uh, grass in, in in that corn later on, um, you know, that's maybe uh, helps with an action site, mating site within the field. But otherwise, I don't really have um, I haven't heard of any any interactions that way. All right, well, thanks, Bruce. And uh, just want to take a second here. Uh, we are going to kind of try to stick to our time frame and wrap things up. But I want to thank everyone for tuning in today uh, and thank our guests for, for you know, joining the discussion, help facilitate things, answering questions. So thanks, guys. Uh, and as you exit today, um, please take time to fill in that short little survey. And, uh, and uh, we look forward to having you tune in next week as we continue on down the, uh, through the series here. So thanks again, everybody. Anybody is looking for some excitement, uh, I've got plenty of spider mites that need counting. We'll even pro uh, provide the microscope. So <laughs> have a good day. Thanks, dude.